0: should hold true for training runners because I think a lot of runners get in this I would call it linear mindset where you know week three's got to be more than week two and week four's got to be harder than week three and and I do think that linear acceleration is does set people up in a workload sort of way for injury.
1: This is Ali,
2: this is Anne,
1: Anne in the house, (laughs) Ali in the house, (laughs) what is going on? I have a question, should we release what we recorded as like a mini birthday episode as a birthday gift for one of our very dear friends? We can't say yet because this is going to be released before that.
2: I think that's a good (sighs) idea. I was also thinking that might be a great way to have some, give something to our Patreon subscribers. Mm -hmm.
1: Oh yeah, actually, yes, let's do that. To all you patrons. Um, we'll send you a link to a special episode that is about a very specific person that most of you probably know, uh, hint, hint. Um, <laughs> and we created a special episode on on demand for them just to make them laugh on their birthday. So it's going to be fun. <laughs> on demand. <laughs> I haven't listened to it yet, but I was just replaying all the things we were talking about and we said and how random it was that I just, I was laughing. I was just... Just thinking about it, I was laughing.
2: It's nice having a great backlog of interviews now. Mm-hmm. I yeah, think around 57 or 58.
1: Mm-hmm. I think so. Episode 55, uh, 57, you're right. And including the two parters as two separate episodes.
2: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, it takes as much work to produce them.
1: That is true. That is true. Absolutely. So, what is.
2: Wait, we haven't uh, talked about coffee in a while. What are you drinking?
1: I know. Um, I'm, I'm with my Blue
2: Mountain. Ooh, you and still that, have that.
1: So I still have that. I still have one pack. I usually order in bulk. Um, it's my, it's my quarterly gift to myself. Usually between Arlette and I, we go through what we order in in a, in a few, in three months. So. Three
2: months. I went through mine in like a month. Uh, can you hold on a second? Sable's eating my shoelaces.
1: Those must be running shoes because if they were any other regular shoes, maybe. No. Wouldn't be an emergency.
2: She likes the little plastic pieces at the end.
1: Were those running shoes?
2: <laughs> no, they're my snow boots. <laughs> oh, they
1: oh, snow boots equally important. Actually, I was as you put your headphones away. I said, "Oh, they, those must be running shoes because otherwise it shouldn't be an emergency." <laughs> but snow boots in the winter are equally important, so that's okay.
2: She went straight through a pair of laces from a running a set of running shoes. I left out. Fortunately, I have enough used shoes that I just swapped them out. But it was pretty funny.
1: Speaking of coffee, you know what I miss? Even though Blue Mountain is, of course, very, very good. But I haven't had ozone in a long, long time.
2: We'll have to get it when we go to London.
1: I know, yeah. That's coming up in October. London Marathon. Coming up. (laughs) Before you know it, it'll be here.
2: I'm drinking... um, Oh, cheers. I'm drinking the Chilmark Coffee Company. I think this is the Gato Loco.
1: Gato Loco. That's a pretty fun name. Um, so how's life on the vineyard? What's happening?
2: Well, today is 50 degrees. The last two days were like 16. We have a high wind advisory coming, so it's pretty exciting. There's lots to keep up with here.
1: Can you talk a little bit about what it was like? You you had that major storm roll through. It's the snowstorm that hit mm-hmm. northeast, but Martha's Vineyard kind of sat right in its major path, right? The yeah. island itself. What was that like? Because I know, I, I know you lost power, but like... Yeah, just... A summary of being on the island and when a major event like a major weather event like that happens
2: it's interesting because a lot of people i mean all the presidents coming here make it a little bit more known but a lot of people don't know where martha's vineyard is and it definitely made it onto the map for this one i think oak bluffs was in the new york times what i've been saying is that if this was my first winter here i might have been kind of turned off by all of this (laughs)
1: You would have been back in New York by now? Yeah,
2: but I've learned a lot from every storm that we've had. We had a terrible storm in October, which was almost worse in a way. And I learned a lot from that storm. So for this one, I was really prepared. I had a cooler because I'm learning that my neighborhood tends to lose power because there's a lot of trees. Whereas for the first year, I kind of escaped the losing of power. So I thought that I actually thought the opposite. I was like, oh, I have like a good situation where I don't lose power. So I was prepared to lose power. The problem was that the temperature started at like... You know, thirty two and then it was plummeting. So I stayed here with my dog until a friend rescued me. We had to wait for the winds to die down. Like it was not safe to go driving. So it was really beautiful. But the wind, it's 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 a different thing when you're out here and the wind goes. It's we had sixty mile an hour winds and that's kind of scary. But the storm that we had in October took down a lot of trees that would have fallen this time around, but they were already down. I hate to say that, but it was like it probably made it a little bit easier less destructive, but it was so beautiful and we got so much snow and it was really beautiful. And then my power came on the next day. I had bought a cooler and like put all my food out there and used Ziploc bags of snow for ice and had all kinds of charged up things ready to go for light. And I'm thinking about getting a portable generator. <laughs> That's the next step.
1: <laughs> Survival technique.
2: I know it's different. It's it's um, city solving problem is not, it doesn't work out here. Yeah, Someone suggested different. to me that I go to a hotel and I was like, well, a, there are no hotels open on Martha's Vineyard in January. Mm-hmm. <laughs> B, who's to say the power's not going to go out there? I'd rather be in my home. Mm-hmm. So we went to a friend's house and had like a fun movie night. Oh, that's good.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's always have to, good to have that network. Yeah, I like the idea that <laughs> the iterative tree falling actually helped, that some of them had fallen earlier in the year. <laughs> I know. So that it wasn't a big issue.
2: That uh, storm was almost worse. Okay. I was out of power for five days during that storm.
1: Go ahead. Go ahead. You go first.
2: So I was just gonna say that in prep for this episode, in order to introduce it, I, you know, we always laugh about runners who we're like unable to ever take days off, and when we get injured, it's like, when can I run? And so for this episode, I've been thinking that like the the mascot cartoon is the guy in the hospital in the full body cast, and he turns to the doctor and he says, "So can I run my twenty miler this weekend?" (laughs)
1: reminds me of the episode we did with uh john honor camp where he said you know i've got a runner coming up to me on crutches holding his knees like so what do you think coach will this hold up tomorrow on the race (laughs) (laughs) like, i'm not a doctor but uh i don't think you should run (laughs) i know so on that note who is our guest can you introduce them
2: Yes. Today we have Dr. James Kindernecht. He's a primary doctor of sports medicine at the hospital for special surgery in New York City. He is currently a team physician for the New York Giants and also half of Chill Track Friday. <laughs> um, he has also been a team physician at the University of Missouri and St. John's University as well as serving as a team physician for many high schools. Um, He's also the current medical director for the HSS Outreach Program. They take care of high schools participating in public school athletic league in New York City. He's also the medical co-director of the HSS Sports Safety Program, and he's very involved and believes in the importance of and value of youth sports and athletic activities. And this is a really interesting conversation, and we talk about so many different things. Dr. Kinderneck draws on so, so many years of experience working as a physician in New York City. I mean, his credentials and his
1: experience just speaks for itself. But what I loved is he's just such a fun human to speak to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love it when our guests in the middle of the interview are like, well, what do you think? I'm like, wait, we are the guests, too, of this podcast? <laughs> So yeah. I, I love it when a conversation goes both ways in that in, in, in that way.
2: One thing that's really nice about Dr. Kinderneck, which you kind of speak to there, is like the family family practice, the family medicine is very it's kind of an old school approach where which is nice. Like you can tell that he's really gets to know his patients, which um, you know, there's no rushing in and out of the appointment, which is really nice.
1: Without further ado, we hope
2: you enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kinderneck.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation.
2: Thank you for joining us. It's an honor to have you on our show. Ali has a very important question for you. I
1: heard that, you know, you used to be a runner and then you turned into cycling at some point. So I have a question. What made you defect?
0: <laughs> My knee. Um, it was pretty easy. So yeah, it's a, I started running in, college. I played high school sports and then started running in college and just became a way of life. And and first of all, you know, and I think, I, I think this is an important comment is, you know, I exercise growing up and I think, you know, that's one of the big concerns we have right now, you know, about the youth of today is, you know, so you, here's the, here's the, the, the very clear statistics. If you don't exercise at age 15, the odds of you exercising at 25, are a lot lower if you don't exercise at the age of 25, and you get the message. So, so I think exercise was a, such a big part of my life, and when we got to college, and so, you know, I was used to practicing a couple hours a day. So that kind of transformed me into running and what have you. And I think the biggest draw for running is, hey, you don't need it's. it's you can be spontaneous. All you need is a pair of shoes and a little bit of gear, and you're out the door and you're running. So that went on, and now with that high school sports thing. So I had an injury uh, playing high school football, and really was never severe, never to a point I missed a game or anything, and not really to a problematic state. But that's going to come in in the end because really that injury is what ended up making me stop running. So um, so I ran, and um, you know, typically. You know, somewhere probably averaged for like I was, you know, we were talking uh, earlier, you know, uh, about 30 years of my life and probably averaged about 30 miles a week. And then early 2019, I was running fine. And as the year went on, I just would get, get soreness. And preceding that probably for the year or two before that, what I started realizing is I couldn't run back to back days. You know, if I ran back to back days, it bothered me. So then I started cycling a a bit on those in between days and was very novice and I had a clunker bike and what have you. And, but that was kind of godsend in the end because the last run, well, the run that I went on that I said, this, I got to look into this was, um. The day after Thanksgiving and, and uh, I was 49, 2019, I was with my running partner and he goes, yeah, you don't look good. And my back was hurting. Mm-hmm. I, my, I was running so funky that my back was hurting. So we looked into it and, and bottom line, I had this, what's called an osteochondral defect, which is a localized area of arthritis that would date back to that old injury. So, So my arthritis had nothing to do with running. So you hear that all the time. And. As you guys know, and so it had nothing to do with that. And my left knee is fine and been fine. But and then I had an operation where this operation is now much more refined, but the idea was to see if I could get back to running. I knew that the prospects of that working were about 50, 50%. And this would, you know, in a, in a, you know, we call patient decision-making, you know, uh, shared decision-making, it was kind of that idea where, okay this isn't a slam dunk but I like to run so much I'll take the 50-50 chance and in the end I kind of dabbled a bit for a couple years but I could never really run far run hard and at a certain point and my knee was sore all the time so at a certain point I just said you know this is crazy you know it's not really even that fun of I'm not having fun then uh, that kind of went to biking. And so I had to do something. So, you know, at that point, you kind of have the choice of either, okay, jokingly say cry in my Cheerios, or go find something else to do. And the something else to do was the bike, but uh, still miss running where I really miss money running is traveling. I love to travel. And I can't travel with a bike or most times I mean, I go on bike trips. But you know when I'm just find spot- that spontaneous, go run around a new city, uh, be it anywhere. I would tell you those are the days I miss the running the most. But that's a long-winded answer to your question. So, uh... you no, know, it
1: makes me nostalgic to what you said about traveling and running because I haven't. I mean, we have been kind of cooped up because of the pandemic. But 2019, you know, I ended up at an opportunity at my at my work that had me travel a lot and to relatively exciting places, and I I did so much running and exploring during those during 2019. Yes. I would on purpose pick a hotel that was about eight to 10 miles away from the office on that location. So I could just run in in the morning. <laughs> um, yeah. I think we can all relate to that.
0: Um, I mean, it's so fun and just just go for a run and see the city.
2: Can we uh, talk about your osteochondral uh, defect? Is that something that is a pre does it indicate arthritis or it's just that arthritis is a result of that?
0: Well, yeah. So it is a, it's a traumatic injury. So we still, we see these um, not really in runners. We see them in usually uh, more, it's a it's a traumatic event. You know, basketball gets them a lot, landing. We see them in football, what have you. But think of it like this. It's, there's basically a coating on the end of the bone. If that coating wears out and diffusely, that's arthritis. And so when people ask me, well, what's arthritis? I'd say, think of the end of a drumstick. And you see that nice, smooth, shiny white surface on the end of a drumstick like a cue ball. That's articular cartilage. So it's your Teflon on the Teflon pan. If you use it, lose that in a gradual sort of way, diffusely, we call that arthritis. What an osteochondral defect is, is where you basically, through trauma, you basically take a golf divot out of it, you know, like taking a divot in the golf swing. And it just, it becomes a crater. You know, I I put up with it for a long time. I think we think, you know, uh, strength uh, helps your weight or not being overweight helps, uh, but then it got, it, it caught up with me, but you still see that injury in a lot of sports and it's really jeopardized a lot of pro careers over the years where, uh, pro athletes have had it. Uh, a lot of the people listening will relate to microfracture so the the treatment first came out with uh, Dexter Stedman and Vail was basically this uh, what they tried to do is do a microfracture so that defect so think of it like a pothole in the road and you're trying to get new pavement to fill that in and they would do this uh, little procedure where they would microfracture the base to fill that in the problem is it really didn't predictably work what i had done was uh what's called an oats procedure which is basically taking some areas of cartilage off the edge of your knee and then doing like a hair transplant and putting it in the hole uh, to try to get that to fill now there's newer procedures that are being done they're more successful um also it depends on the size of the hole how successful the procedures are but but it's um a to tough one because we just don't have the ability to grow that what that surface is called, is it called articular cartilage? All the research going into treating arthritis is really how do we get articular cartilage to grow and, and stick, or is there something biologic that we can inject or do to the knee to get that to grow right now? We, you know, that I think, unfortunately we use the term regenerative medicine quite loosely because, um, We really aren't regenerating much of anything, you know? So when you hear about stem cells, that's kind of a a topic into itself, but it's a, a, just suffice it to say, it's a misnomer uh, because most of the stuff that's being done and injected into this, that, and everything is not truly true stem cells. And so it it really is until we get to that ability, like for my knee, where somebody can put something in to basically fix my pothole, you know? Mm -hmm.
1: What made you choose your career? You can go as far back as you want.
0: What made me start into my career was what we all kind of tend to do. And that's kind of what my dad did. So I started off in pharmacy school. So my dad and my grandfather were both pharmacists and owned a a retail pharmacy in a small town in Kansas. So the town I grew up in was 1500 people. I mean, the building next, uh, I mean, the building I live in right now in New York City is that many people. So I started off and I kind of decided that I really wanted to think about medicine. So I took the entrance exam, did well enough to know that I could get in and kind of migrated in that direction. And you know, and then you get into medical school and you kind of decide what do I like? And really it was easy for me. I like being around people, I like taking care of people. I didn't really I enjoyed surgery, but I didn't love surgery because I like being in the office and really had a very interest in sports and most of that was again from my background where i played football and basketball and was just around sports and uh, it was a huge part of my life and um, i was fortunate enough i went into family medicine and then did a sports medicine fellowship after that but when i was in medical school i was in kansas city and the academy of family medicine was in uh, kansas at kansas city so i, I just on a whim just drove out there and i walked into the door and, and i said you know i really like family medicine i really, really like taking care of athletes is there anybody doing that and there were about three or four people that were doing that kind of in its infancy and um so that's kind of started me in that direction and um so i did my residency in family medicine and then did uh my sports medicine fellowship at, at ucla and started my career in fresno california I was there for three years um uh, that was really great. I was working with a, somebody I did my residency with. I learned so much in that for, you know, that's the thing about it is how much you learn and I'm still learning all the time, but that there was a pretty steep curve and I was really with some very smart people that I got exposed to. And then I was on faculty at the University of Missouri for um, about 17 years and then been in New York for uh, 11 years. Big part of what I've done is education. so. I, um, I am the fellowship director where I am now, and then I'm um, a fellowship director in Missouri, and so I've, uh, teaching has been a big part of what I like to do, and and then team coverage and youth sports is a big part of what I do.
2: Yeah, can you talk a little bit about the youth sports? You were um, the former team physician for St. John's and also at the University of Missouri.
0: Yeah, so, um, and, and I will tell you, and you know, I've, I, I mean, probably as much as that I've been so involved with junior high, high school sports. I mean, um, I've I've really been involved with high schools, and and even now, where uh, I don't go to as many. I used to go every Friday night. Uh, I'd go to a high school game. Now I don't do as much of that, um, partly because my schedule is a little whacked out, but um, and then partly because uh, in in New York City there's not very many Friday night games, most of them are on Saturdays and Sundays, so I'm usually uh, busy traveling or with, uh, just so I help take uh, care of the Giants here. So so I'm the director, we take care of uh, seven inner-city uh, uh, high schools in New York City now, where our residents uh, and our fellows help cover. We have a clinic that we do on, Friday, on Mondays that uh, I'm quite proud of because We've really brought broken down a lot of the financial barriers and access barriers where they can get in and get seen for anything, and the hospital has been very supportive. Um, so I'll do that, and I have done that for lots of years. And you know, uh, I have a real passion in my heart for youth sports. And uh, then, um, then in the collegiate, uh, you know, when I was at Missouri, I took care of all the athletes. And uh, when I first came here. I uh, was involved in St. John's and it kind of evolved. They went a different direction, which uh, was with the local hospital, which uh, was Queens Presbyterian, which it, it was good. It was, uh, it, there was a lot that went into that decision, but uh, beyond uh, sports medicine. But, and at that point I was helping with the Mets and uh, helping with the Giants and now basically help with the Giants, but still do the high school stuff. That's so I don't cool. know if I answered your question, Anne. No, it's uh, great. One thing that um, I'm involved with now is uh, our youth pre- our injury prevention program, which is mostly directed at youth, but you know to some degree all ages, but uh, that's gotten developed at, at HSS in a very robust sort of way. We had a very de- generous uh, um, donor that uh, helped support uh, starting the program. And we've really made uh, a lot of impact in terms of, developing would not be the right word because so- a lot of them were developed, I would say we we're, we've been instrumental in, in strategies to implement. You know, it's mm. it's one of these uh, things that's kind of interesting, and and the people listening may find it's interesting. You know, I mean, there was there were these programs that have been developed that were exercises, not hard exercises, not anything cr- crazy. Twelve minutes of three times a week. That if you did those, you reduced uh, lower uh, extremity injuries and uh, including anterior cruciate ligament tears of the knee, and that got really proven. And what's really interesting is was be, was much more worldwide accepted than U.S. accepted because the data was a bit conflicting. How well they worked. Well, in the end, what was happening is you know the programs, and I love the analogy. Joe Janowski's our program director. You know, he likened it to um, if you're if you're a bad free throw shooter, if you're sent down to the free throw line to shoot 50 free throws and you say you shoot 50 free throws a day, but your technique is bad, all 50 free throws, you are not any better at shooting free throws. So what was happening with these programs is people were being told how to land from jumps, how to cut but they weren't being really instructed. So they were just shooting the same bad free throws over and over. What we've come to realize is if you're gonna shoot free throws better, it works a lot better if you have a coach that's asking, you critiquing your free throw shooting and correcting your free throw shooting. And we think that's how you get to be better. Now you still have to shoot your 50 free throws, but with instruction. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a lot of this injury prevention stuff has been, okay, not only do, we the programs are out there, but the programs that worked were the ones that had instructors. The programs that didn't work were, okay, just go do these exercises. So in the end, what this has done, and it is, I've said, you know, the other issue was what we had was we had the program and we had the people. And everybody was naive enough to think that the, the people would find the program. Mm-hmm. And that worked miserably. So Uh, what we try to do is say, how can the program find the people and be implemented? So, and and with uh, proper instruction. So it's, it's been a fun, we've learned a ton, just, uh, just kind of in a public health sort of way, you know, and, and, and how to, to really impact uh, a lot of lives in that way.
2: That's fascinating. It's hard to talk about this stuff in kind of community outreach without discussing covid how has covid affected the programs this past year and a half or two
0: yeah that was amazing so um so so much of what we're doing it's a bit what we're talking about is this outreach is we're we're setting up these workshops so it's and it's a boots on the ground effect you know well now all of a sudden there's no such thing as boots on the ground you know, the team had nothing to do with me had the, the team kind of came up with this idea that you know what we need to do is is, how do we. Uh, produce PE content for high school age group junior high age group elementary age group, so what the team started doing is creating video content. It was basically PE classes and they started doing these challenges that, you know, that everybody TikTok and what have you that I have nothing I have no knowledge of but, you know, they started doing this and, and then we started getting connected with uh, different school districts nationwide and it became amazing where we became kind of the we had the ability and the online skill set that we were able to create this uh for kids for teachers uh, uh to do at home pe if you will and we shifted gears so it was it was just crazy uh you know and, and everybody has these stories about covid and the resourcefulness that that created and you know it it, it is amazing how if this country really kind of gets their back to the wall they tend to do good and seems like we have to get to the back of a wall to start doing good. I don't know what that means, but it was very cool. It was very, something very cool to be a part of, and it's really uh, continued and will continue, I think, well, you know, especially when we can do more boots on the ground stuff again.
1: You said something that kind of had my ears perk up for a second, you spoke Going back to the story of you know shooting 50 bad throws and not having a coach and just you're doing better be after true 50 with the coach.
0: <laughs> I, I didn't I was thinking about that. I wasn't really seeing you up on that one, but I thought that might grab yeah.
1: But you know, it's interesting. We always talk about coaching, but everybody has a mindset of okay, having a coach is important from like X, Y, and Z perspective, which is like, oh, training, you know, the advice and planning, but you really put it in the context of injury prevention. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: oh i I, we've looked at that a lot i mean some of the things we've done um now is you know what can we do to prevent running injuries uh uh, we have researcher at um, hss it's one of my colleagues brett torresdal that's really kind of dove into this and is doing a lot um, in terms of what can we do to to decrease running injuries Um, one of the nfl's big things right now that we're a part of is what can we do to decrease hamstring injuries? Um, if you look at the National Football League, the the most time lost injury that we deal with is hamstring injuries, mm-hmm. and and strategies. And there's a task force looking at that, and and I think that can cross over a lot into you know the modern day world. A lot of it is, I mean, I'll share with you is 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 managing workload is is key, you know. And so in this day and age where more is better uh, what we can tell you is during training camp for the NFL the week that's the most hamstrings across the board is the third week so you bring get the guys in they get tired okay and what you what our data would tell you is that you need to make the third week a lighter week than it was the second week but that isn't in very many coaches mindset to think mm-hmm. that you're not just going to literally acce- accelerate the workload. And so what happens is they get these injuries in the third week. So so what we're trying to convince the coaches is all right, ramp them up the first two weeks, chill out the third week, then kind of start to ramp up again. Well, I think that same mindset should hold true for training runners because I think a lot of runners get in this, I would call it linear mindset where, you know, week three's got to be more than week two and week four has got to be harder than week three. And, and I do think that linear acceleration is does set people up in a workload sort of way for injury. Um, So, so I do think there's some little things that we we've, can really demonstrate statistically is quite true we're trying to look at as it relates to running i can tell you very simply put it's it's the board test question what what's the biggest risk factor for a stress fracture how many miles a week you run mm-hmm. there's no it's, it's not even it's not even close second place so so i think it it really is that mindset that hey banging your head against a wall banging your head against a wall you know, I can't tell you how many times a week I'll say, you know, recovery is a part of training that just doesn't enter people's mindset like it needs to.
1: Yeah, we literally we had an our last episode was us, just Ann and I answering questions from <laughs> our listeners. And one of the questions was like, Is tapering really that important? Is it overrated? And you know, so and then our answer obviously was a resounding yes on like why it's as It is important because it is part of your training. It is not, you know, not doing it is just as important as doing what you're doing.
0: All right. I'm going to share with, it's not totally, it's not totally applicable to runners, but I think it's applicable to training. Uh, This has been several years ago. And I had this guy Mm -hmm. and remember, right. He's about 55. And so he comes in and he's, he's really fit and he's working out and he says, Hey, you need to check my testosterone level because I'm not getting stronger. And I go, okay, yeah, yeah. So so I asked him a lot of the like libido type of other questions that would indicate low testosterone. And he was fine on all those things, and he just wasn't getting stronger. And so I said, Yeah, okay. So we should check your testosterone, because we should check your testosterone. And and I have no problems with that. But it's pretty unlikely your only symptom of if you have low testosterone is you're not getting stronger. So tell me about your workouts. This dude was just killing himself every day every week no recovery what have you and so i said you know i don't i think the way you're training is you're, you're just beating yourself up you're not building in recovery and so i talked to him about recovery and he looks at me and said uh well that's not gonna work and i go oh really so how's your way working out so we checked his test out well, it was normal and i said give me i tell you what why don't you let me, let me kind of build in some recovery days. Then we give you a couple of little ideas. You run with that and you let me know in six weeks, I'm a big boy. You email me, let me know how you're doing. So he emails me back and says, I'm making street games. Actually, I love those emails. Got to the point. I didn't, I didn't have to guess what, what, but, but, but you know, that mindset and I would tell you where I really was exposed to it was just a lot of the collegiate runners. Okay. So track coach at Missouri, Distance coach used to call that. They got that punched in the face look to them, um, and it kind of they had that punched in the, lo- the face look to them. And so, so when you're not performing on the track and meeting your times, what do you think? Do you ever think I need to back off twenty percent? Most runners, what do they do? They ramp up. And so, you know what what you try to convince people is. When they get you know that runner stale you know where they're not really improving, and rather than think I need to up twenty percent, a lot of times what it means you need to drop twenty percent, and and kind of recover a week or two, and then kind of get you know ramping up to your taper comment. But but it's it really is that mindset that transcends training. Is I'm not getting results. I just, I'm not working hard enough. You know and high percentage of people, that's the exact opposite what they needed.
2: Do you think that mindset is across the board with athletes or more like a regional thing of being in like a type A city?
0: Oh, well, you know, here's the answer. I mean, every runner that's successful is type A. So I've yet to meet a non-type A runner. So if you're, <laughs> if you're a committed runner, you're type A. I don't care where you live. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think what you might be referring to, Anne, is I live in a city that is very uh type a because most people have a type a job you know and i was when i first got here you know uh it was kind of interesting coming from the midwest and people used to ask me what's the biggest difference taking care of people in new york than uh, other places i've been and i go quite simple people don't want to tell me their symptoms they just want to tell me their diagnosis so uh you know it's always it's comical it's i mean I, I have fun with it i i just say you know they come in with their chief complaint they tell me oh i got x i got and i go well gosh i guess you already got the diagnosis let me see if i agree with you
1: you but mean yeah, they send no, think, you their mri
0: pardon oh yeah they, sometimes mean they, they send
1: you them. their their reading of their own mri and yeah. tell you what it is
0: yeah i i looked at google <laughs> and i got this figured out i definitely am guilty of that you know that <laughs> Oh, and I wasn't thinking of you at all. Um, (laughs) It's, you know, it's a fun group because, I mean, I always say this. Okay, I get typically patients fit in two categories. One's that you got to kick them in the pants to get them to do what you want to do, or the others you pull back on the reins. I'd rather pull back on the reins and kick them in the pants. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now the the other fun thing about taking care of runners is they're not going to take anything because I said so. You know, you kind of have to convince runners, and the sad part is a little bit, a lot of it is anecdotal, which is not that satisfying, you know, because we wish in a lot of these areas, you know, and injury prevention being one of the areas is we had more data to give people and say, all right, here's the data, here's the story, what, you know, but a lot of it is is kind of anecdotal and experience and, you know, what we'll call you know, more along the lines of expert opinion. And see what we need to develop and we, and we've got a lot of areas, a long ways to go is really the scientific expertise to be able to sit here and kind of say, okay, if, you know, here's the predictability, if you do this, that's the, the the answer, you know, and it's, it's interesting, you know, when I think, and when I since been doing this for 30 years is, you know, a lot of these these coaches and a lot of them are the coaches have been around forever. I don't think they know why they're doing what they're doing, but they know it works and they'll, Mm -hmm. and, and, and I'm telling you, they know it works, you know? And so I don't know. I mean, I think the biggest challenge with training and I think runners fit into this is, and I challenged, um, I don't know if Jeff pig's listening to this, it would be amazing, but Jeff was the uh, distance coach. Um, went to f- at Missouri when I was there, and then became the head coach, I think, at Florida, and then maybe at Georgia now. But I remember talking to Jeff about training his cross country team, and I said, "I said, Jeff, is coaching taking ten girls and giving them the same workout, or is coaching figuring out what's best for each individual?" And I, I think. I think unfortunately, and Jeff was great, obviously his accolades are where he ended up and what have you. So it's this and anything, it's just Jeff and I just talking one day, which was unbelievable for me because I had somebody that I could bounce ideas off on the medical side. He could tell me on his coaching side. And I learned a ton from Jeff over the years in that sort of way. And the head coach is a guy named Rick McGuire, who's also kind of a legend in, in the track and field, and especially on the psychological side of. Uh, and he's been a consultant for the Olympic teams mm. many times is now retired. But, you know, that was a, always the thing. I always pick those guys brain because I look because I needed to understand the running mindset. But um, uh, so, you know, I, I think a little a lot of this whole challenge of coaching comes in as what how do you individualize it to get the best out of the person? Because I would challenge coaches to say if you give 10 people that ten all 10 the same workout you're probably hitting two of them and the rest of them you're not hitting but I, and it's hard you know it's hard to you know it's mm-hmm. it's interesting to talk about I remember talking to the swim coach at Missouri about tapering you know your comment about tapering and I said how do you guys figure this out and what have you and his comment was very interesting as it relates to gender he, he said hitting the taper. And I don't know if this, I've never heard this as, as applies to runners, but he would say that hitting the taper, you have a window, right? That, you know, you can taper too soon too late very simply. Well, the window when you're taking care of a male athlete is a wider window than if you're taking care of a female athlete. And I don't know if that's how proven that is. It's an interesting thought. I I, am not, but, but him, uh, saying that made me really think, you know, that, that's an interesting observation that he had made through coaching, uh, that, that it was a finer, you know, and when we're talking about tapering, how effective as it is, I think you can miss the window. Right.
2: Hmm. That's interesting. I've never heard that before about the difference in the,
0: yeah, that was the first time and maybe the last time. So I I don't know how (laughs) legitimate it is, but uh, but I, 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 I kind of bought it actually. So I well, that's why I'm regurgitating it as
2: a, as a woman it's definitely different in terms of like where races fall in your, in your cycle, in terms of how much rest and where, how you're going to feel So that might have something to do with it.
0: We run into this with young athletes too. You know, you can't take a young athlete. If, uh, somebody that's maybe pre you know, at puberty, what have you and train them like little adults. It just doesn't work. You know, mm-hmm. they, you, you know, they're not little adults. And so you need to construct it differently. But, um, you know, I guess the other comment is we're talking about coaching and uh, I always like to get in because it's my pet peeve. People are going to exercise because they're having fun. And I think, unfortunately, fun has become underrated in the coach's eyes. And I think if at any level of we're not making it fun and creating fun, um, then people are not enjoying training, not enjoying their sport and what have you. And, And I think the challenge to any coach right now is don't forget that you know, and it's the chicken and the egg. Does a fun create the results, or does the results create the fun? And I, I hold the belief that I think the fun makes the results. So, so I think, yeah, I think we get caught up in results-driven coaching and forget that there's a how do we make sure that it's enjoyable. I think in in the running sort of world. I think a lot of that's the social aspect. You know, if you if if you can create the social aspect, I think people the enjoyment factor is higher for them and they enjoy their workouts more. I mean, mm-hmm. you guys are living it. I, I you know I'm a has been, but I'll ask you guys the question. Does what's what's more does does fun drive success or does success drive fun?
1: No, for me, it's the former fun drive success, no matter what, like if I was, if I didn't have the social aspect for running, I wouldn't be running period. I can skip my time going for a time on a race any day of the week. If I can just continue to run with a group of people that I enjoy running with, getting out and, you know, having coffee with them afterward, that's, that's what started me to, you know, kind of get me into it. And then the cherry on the top were the results, you know, you just kept improving. And that, I think that it was the fun that drove all of that. Mm-hmm. um and if that's not there it, yeah you know anyway
0: yeah. that's that's my answer since you yeah. and i did hear from you you've been so <laughs> successful as a what uh what do you think
2: i feel totally the same i mean i started the whole thing began with how much fun i was having and then it just kept building on itself but the original seed was fun and it remains fun and there have been times when it wasn't fun and actually was very grateful and blessed to be aware that that was happening. So I could kind of stop it and then reorient myself. And Ali is really good. He's a really good sounding board for things like that with um, achievement and athletics. And, um, you know, even the injury, you know, my long-standing sinus Tarsi weird thing that went on for like a year, even that the injury wasn't fun, but we found other ways to exercise and, achieve things and then I got competitive in the swimming pool because it's fun to be competitive. I just have fun doing that.
0: Yeah, and I think that's I think that's a balancing act that we all kind of we can't let I mean I would I've lived through this as a runner where I've gone through times where I I really wasn't I was so driven by my times and my results. and I kind of got lost in that and and my metric was so much my watch as opposed to just going out on that nice day or going out with some friends and just going for a run and, and who cares what the time was, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I would challenge all your listeners to, to make sure that, you know, don't be driven by your computer, you know, be driven by the experience more than that.
2: Mm -hmm. Thanks Uh, for saying that. could
1: not agree. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You, you, touched on something where it was, you know, you talked about, oh, you have 10 athletes as a coach. Are you just coaching running to all of them? Or are you coaching the each individual athlete? How much of that applies to people that w- athletes who are injured and walk into your office? Like, I'm assuming there's more science involved. So maybe there's a little bit less, but there's still the individual aspect of like genetics and who they are and how they're training um, for you to kind of <laughs> obviously in New York, they're diagnosing themselves, but beyond that, like for you to do your job, you know, how much of looking at the athlete as an individual, but at the same time, there's the baseline science that you have to apply. Just curious about that.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I think, I think, first of all, the, we, if you're telling somebody they can't run, you got to figure out something else for them to do to stay in shape because that's who they are and that's who they're going to be. And, and so And you got to keep their mindset in the game. So, I mean, just really, and I think the biggest line, and I I mean, I I can't tell you exactly when I remember a patient telling me this, but it unfortunately wasn't in the last 15 years or the first 15 years, it was in the last 15 years. But a patient looked at me and said, I just think this is going to be the new me, the injured version of, of her. And I went to my, I thought, okay, so that's why everybody's so anxious. Because I never, so people have these injuries and I know they're going to get better. And what she said, and I will say this probably three times a week now, as they said, no, this is not the new you. You're going to get better. This is not, and people look at me like, wow, that it is what I'm worried about. A lot of this anxiety when people get hurt is they're never going to get better. And, um, and so- so, so I think bigger part of it, when I see people, it's like, no, you're going to be okay. You know, now the challenging question is the next question is, okay, when's that, what day on what at nine o'clock on what day will that be better? And I go, okay, I'm, I'm going to get a little, little, you know, stupid now. So I do think it is applicable to, to injury. I mean, I'm going to share another, I mean, I've shared this story a million times and, and it dates back to the, the University of Missouri, and um, a runner that uh, was coming into her senior year and the and running cross country, and she didn't get to run at the conference meet her first three years because she got a stress fracture. Basically, she was if she ran over forty miles a week, she got a stress fracture. So I went to Coach Pick, you know, and we talked about her and her running and what have you, and said. I think we're going to have to restrict her miles in and um uh, because she keeps getting hurt and you know and, and then the question was how good was she really going to be running 40 miles a week or what have you and um and then in the end she ran 40 miles a week didn't get hurt and uh uh was an all-American uh, at the uh, national meet so I think there's there's people that need to run high mileage to be successful. There's people that, you know, you need to be creative about how they trained. And and Jeff was very good about creating a training program for her to be not hurt um, and be successful. Now, unfortunately, I think this goes back to your question is a lot of times, you know, track record kind of answers that question, you know, and so you kind of learn, you know, you know, you learn from history, right? And so you don't keep repeating the same mistakes again and again, if it looks like, hey, she can't, she's not that high miles or mo- runner, can she be successful with less mileage? And so, um, and I, I think there are people like that, that, that just, they're just not, you know, they're, they can't, they can't bang out 60 miles a week, you know, and that that's just who they are. And there are people that can't bang out 20 miles a week. And, and, mm-hmm. um, and so what you try to do is make it so that they're, uh, successful. You know, it uh, makes me think of my favorite. Uh, and I'd and be Again, I, I'm looking for your guys in, input. And, but, you know, I always tell these first time marathoners, and I see a lot of them And this in, and, and it always they come up with, okay, so I'm trying these, you know, I want to run it in this time. And I go, I said, here's my biggest advice is a first time marathoner. Do not worry about the time. So there's only one way you're going to be at the the end of race day where you're going to feel unfulfilled. And that is if you don't finish. Otherwise, if you finish, I promise you, you will not feel any less fulfillment based on your time. But if you have to walk off the course at 18 miles, it will haunt you. Uh, So I said, just get one under your belt. Then you can start worrying about your time. But I see these people start, you know, they're heavy in interval workouts and stuff like that. And I'm like, forget your time. You just need to experience one run and really have a great time. But what are your, I mean, you guys coach runners and you're with them. What do you tell these first time marathoners?
2: The exact same thing. <laughs> yeah. The first one yeah, is I've just had- for fun.
1: Yeah, I've had not just first time marathoners, just first time racers. And their first one's a marathon, you know, because it's a big machine, it sucks people in. They somehow find themselves in a lottery or in, you know, fundraising for something. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to. Um, so, yeah, there's a moment of setting expectation. And for the first one, it is absolutely. Um, I actually try to, if, if they are first timers like that, I try to get them to go race shorter distance as part of their training. But for the marathon for what it is yeah the time goals are out the window it is to finish It is to finish strong and feeling you know and what the word i use is like that's your benchmark and we'll go from
0: there just thinking as we're talking i mean that probably holds true for every distance right if you if you're running the first 10 10k, <laughs> what's your goal finish if you're running a half what's your first what should be your goal finish uh, you know i remember the first ones the sense of fulfillment mm-hmm. when you finish is, is the answer, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, my, my son, who's, he was running his first marathon and and he died at, at like the last four miles. And cause at age at mile 16, he was like, on, oh, I feeling so good. I go, Jay, yeah, I told you you're going to get it. You're going to, you're going to go nutty. And he goes, I know, I know. I, I, I knew you told me that, but you know, I was <laughs> feeling so good. And I go, yeah and then he you know it's like he kind of walked ran the last four miles you know which oh my gosh and so fortunately so he went i said you just go you need to go do another one just get that taste out of your mouth and so he, he's run several since then and just done fine but uh yeah it's like we've all been there you know i know i shouldn't do this but
2: it's a, a learning experience the thing i mean there's so many nice things about the first marathon but especially when you finish, you have nothing to compare it to. So it's just, there's no reason to have any feelings other than elation and and just feeling so satisfied. I have a question that I would love to hear your input on. Um, there's a lot of discussion on specializing in sports as a, as kids or not specializing in sports. How do you feel about that from like a orthopedic perspective?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's pretty, that data is pretty clear. The, the kids that um, are, uh, not specialized that do more than one sport, get hurt less, you know, and, and now that can be, there's a lot of answers to that, but, you know, unfortunately a lot of sports have turned year round. I've mixed feelings about this. Cause I, I sometimes get it in a proficiency. I, I mean, let me rephrase it. I get it in a proficiency standpoint, but, but I don't think it's great. Uh, I would really like to see kids not specialize until you know they're 14, uh, and then really um, maybe find their sport or what happens if they sell. But again, it goes back to this. I visited youth coaching workshop, think tank group um, not too long ago, and you know, I I said, you know, I think we need to challenge our our youth coaches that the odds of if you're a, a youth basketball coach the odds of you coaching somebody that gets to the nba is so infinitely small that how could you ever hold that as a metric but unfortunately that seems to be a lot of the mindset and i've said you know what what i think needs to be done is how many kids that played for this coach last year signed up this year Mm -hmm. because it goes back Mm -hmm. to that so that means they had fun right because at the end of the day and this i think goes a little bit to the specialized thing is everybody is so my daughter my son is going to get their college scholarship to x and y and z and that's a tiny funnel that they're trying to get through and i would rather see the mindset is I want my kid to play every sport and enjoy every sport and get exposed to every sport and want to play next year. Um, and I kind of likened it to the education model. What do I think is more important to get a really narrow education when we're in college or get a very broad education and all the humanities and what have you? And unfortunately, I think one of the mistakes that, I mean, I'm not an educator, so but I I've, I've thought about this because it was my biggest plea to my kids. My kids are 35, 32, and 29. And so in college, I said, don't, you know, one one was a Spanish major. One was a philosophy major. I mean, and it's really this idea to me is you should go to college and, and just get this really breadth of education. Well, well I think in, in youth sports, I would say, that will, that's a better overall, quote unquote, athlete and experience. Um, Because I'm really interested, again, what we talked about before, I want to make sure they're exercising at age 15. Mm -hmm. Because I want them exercising age 25, and so on and so forth. Because that more impacts our all our society more than, you know, how many guys are playing gals are playing professional sports. My answer to the specialized question in, is really kind of what's what's better for people, not uh, and just in as it relates to exercise in general.
1: This touches on something I had a question earlier, then it slipped my mind, and then you said something now that brought it back. As you were talking about your career, I was started counting in my head. I have four young ladies in my extended family and friends, and one young person. All of them in high school who want to pursue sports medicine. Uh, I don't know where this well the popularity has come from but if you had like so it's kind of a selfish question so if you had any like golden nuggets of advice for them what would it be
0: yeah um yeah i get asked this a lot you know uh uh, being the program director for the fellowship and i'm also going to bring in another little wrinkle on this that i think you guys will and the listeners will find interesting but um you know i think that my best advice at any stage of your whatever you're doing and in this stage, you know, your, your academic enrichment. Don't, you know, I I mean, I know we're on a running podcast and what have you. I use the marathon as the example all the time. I think the biggest thing that people need to worry about at mile six is mile seven. Uh, and I think if, if running doesn't teach you anything else, it teaches you that, I mean, right? So if you're on mile six and you're wondering about mile 20, you're toast. Um, so I think the biggest thing is when you're in high school and you have those aspirations, you just be the best student you can be, you know, and I think you get to college and it just moves on like that. And then I think the other huge part of this is find mentors, you know, the the mentors that I've had in my life. Um, Uh, have shaped me tremendously and so I think that's the one thing that I think most of us kind of connect our success to is you know the mentoring that we uh, that we uh, receive so I think the my best advice in somebody at each stage of their development if you will so high school college you know medical school residency fellowship uh, is, is that whole mentoring piece and just be the best you can be. Um, so, you know, what, um, what made me think about this, and it's, it's, um, we, we have a real issue with diversity, as it relates to the team positions in the NFL. And in the NFL has been, they don't like it, you know, and I, and they want to do something about it. So people have asked me about it. And I said, it's, I said, the problem is it doesn't start at medical school. Um, It doesn't start during residency. It doesn't start at fellowship. I'm way too far down the end of the line. You know, it really starts, you know, where we need to really mentor um, kids at the high school level and really target, um, target, make opportunities for uh, a, uh, minority group that makes them, A, want to go into medicine, uh, makes them, B, want them to go into sports medicine. And because right now, we don't have a huge pool to draw from because when I'm, when we're looking at who are candidates as team physicians, it becomes uh, the minority pool is really small. And I think where we're missing out is that mentoring needs to happen so far in front of that, and so, so I think it goes really. What the NFL is doing is making some mentoring initiatives uh, at the at the collegiate level, uh, targeting um, historically black colleges, um, to really try to. Uh, put a program in place as the hospital for special surgery, we're hopefully going to be a part of that. And, and um, the whole idea is just be good at what you do and then, and really try to uh, seek out mentoring.
1: No, I, I love that answer because actually the, the thing that reminded me of the, to ask you the question, I guess, is when you, when you're talking about academic enrichment, think broad, you don't think about this one thing that you really have to, even at the college level, because that's what I did, right? Like then mm-hmm. my, it kind of happened by accident, but that was my mindset. I was assuming that's where the answer was gonna go. So it was, a, it was a little bit of a, a kind of like a trick question, but yeah. I don't
0: know, um, you're peeing you, me up, it looks like to me, so uh, you, you know you need. I need all the help I can get.
1: Um, you, you, This has come up in passing like five times now. Earlier you said, oh, I take care of the New York Giants, no big deal. And then you moved on to the whatever we were talking about. Now the NFL's come up a bunch of times. So what does taking care of the New York Giants entail?
0: I mean a big part of what I do I'm I'm kind of the family physician for a small group of people that are really amazing athletes. So um you you just try to try to take care of them like anybody else and what have you and they can you know I they can kind of see through it if you if you, you're not genuine but um but yeah so it's it's kind of no different than anybody, any runner coming into my office, no matter how novice they are, and they want to be the best they can be. Uh, And and that's this population, you know, they, they want to be the best they can be. And that's, you know, in terms of, and so our big role is injury prevention. Again, our big role is um, what can we do to improve performance um, and, and make them uh, as good as they can be. And you brought up COVID. That you know what the NFL did was amazing. You know, and and when I say that, I, I and I've I, I would say to you what teams did. You know, last this year was a little different. You know, but having that season last year, um, 2020, in the midst of a pandemic, and being able to pull that off was attributable to the players and the coaches sacrificing a significant amount, you know, and it's, a, it, and, and they bought into, they didn't want to be the person to bring the, the, the whole house of cards down. So they social distance, they didn't do, uh, they wore their masks. They, they, they did what they needed to do. Not to you know to decrease the risk of, uh, of getting COVID, and because in that setting, you know, obviously there was no vaccines, and and so nobody's vaccinated, and they were testing every day, and and uh, but the strategies in place to pull that off were amazing. But as a team physician and the training staff, it was the workload was quite high.
2: Um, about that injury prevention can you strength training can you tell us how much strength training we should be doing <laughs>
0: <laughs> um yeah i mean i guess in in generalities i can i mean i i think uh i think the biggest if i i think the we'll just talk runners i think in general i think the prime runners get into and i get it when you get into high mileage you only get so many hours in the week i get it um but the and the and I think what people need to look at is not making a high volume, but being amazingly consistent at, at a few things. And I really think I, I, my personal belief is that the glute, uh, and when I talk glutes, I'm not talking glute maximus, you know, like squats and lunges and stuff like that, but more glute medius, glute minimus are two muscle groups that are so important in the landing phase of running. That I think people need to do that. And, and, the, and it's a really hard one to get runners to buy into because it's really these, you know, lightweight, easy exercises, which runners can't accept that they really work, you know. And so um, and then I think it's just a lot of, uh, you know, core stuff. I'm a big fan of planks, side planks, you know, bridges. And, and so I don't I think the biggest thing is um, don't go beat yourself up. but maintain uh, strength. Um, Somebody just sent me, and I can't remember where it was published, but uh, it was an article on the Buffalo Bills this year. Uh, It got sent to me this weekend. Um, So they quit doing squats um, during the season. And they had the apparently and I don't know if this is true, but the, the, this article reported that um, they had the lowest uh, injury rate in the league this year, time lost uh, uh, from injuries, and um, they think a lot of it's attributable to them not doing squats, which um, is an interesting concept because it goes back to that workload thing. And so, so I think that would be the one thing that I mix into this idea of do I think. Strength training is absolutely important. Yes. Do I think there's a sweet spot? Absolutely. And so a little is good doesn't mean a lot's better. Um, so um, but I, I really think what runners need to do is try to get in about 10 minutes at least three or four times a week, where they're just doing home-based, simple core glute strengthening. And I think that's, to me. Now we've tried to prove this. We did a study with the New York City Marathon, looking at glute strengthening. It didn't really play out. I mean, it, the problem is not very many people that run the New York City Marathon get hurt. I, I know that sounds good, like our problem. So the only way you can compare interventions is if you can. But if the if the number of people that get hurt is so low, it's it's hard to to show a difference and what we did when we did this study and it was looking at glute strengthening and how that relates to injury prevention uh it didn't really work our compliance was not as good in the study group as we'd like but i think the biggest thing that influenced our our results were not very many people got hurt which i think was our mistake so our mistake was okay we'll pick first time marathon. So if you look at historically first time marathoners get hurt more, here's and you guys know the answer. The first time marathoner at the New York City Marathon is not a novice runner. They they've had to dive through so many hoops to call them a not novice runner. They're not really an that's not a it's not a generalizable population to, you know, Marathon X and Marathon. So I think that was part of our problem. You know, we were, the, the hospital's associated with the New York City Marathon, so, and they were gracious enough to to allow us to have some of their database, to you know, email people what have you and get them enrolled. But, um, so I'd like to see if we can do this again in a different sort of way. Brad, I'd mentioned Brad earlier, is really, um, he's um, the, a clinical researcher. Uh, that's what he is. He. Um and um yeah, and his real interest is uh injury prevention and his real interest is in running. It's interesting. He's um he's done some things and published some things kind of connecting with using Strava data to, to look at um uh just workload and some of the stuff we were talking about too.
1: Kind of a general question. You've shared a lot of anecdotes about patients walking into your office. Can you pick out of your favorite or the funniest one for a runner?
0: Other than Ann or Ann included? <laughs> uh, sure, Ann
1: included, of course.
0: <laughs> no. Um oh man. I don't know if I should tell this story, but uh you so you know the w- one that I kind of, you know, it's a it's a tough one, you know. So I see that person that there are arth- they have an arthritic name. And they need to exercise, but they need to get away from impact running, and they're not going to tolerate impact running. And, and I got to say, yeah, it's time to cut it. And then the response, well, doc, you just don't understand running's my life. And I guess that's the funny part of the story, which I avoid saying, but I, I really think, well, then you should probably get a life but uh, that that I can't really say so. But you know, I, I uh, you know, that one, that line that comes to mind because unfortunately it happens all the time. so I'm like hundred mm-hmm. percent resisted the the line the comment, but uh i'm I'm a little worried I might slip up as I get a little senile <laughs> at my older age here so you know runners are an interesting group. I mean they trying to get into their uh, psyche is uh is kind of one of the fun challenges of of what I do so.
2: During my injury, Ali and I were like back and forth doing the whole, like trying to read MRIs and things like that. Um, And I did learn some things, but my question to you is just because of your experience and obviously being a doctor, do you generally know what something is before an MRI needs to be done from a patient's perspective? It always seems like so hard to get an MRI, but, and then obviously you get way too much information from the result, but um, what's your experience with that?
0: Yeah, I know. I would say to you, um, this is kind of what I do on a regular basis with teaching the fellows: is there's going to be three pieces of this puzzle, and that is the symptoms, and the exam, and the imaging. Now, we're not going to use one piece of the puzzle to make the diagnosis. So we're going to use all three pieces of the puzzle. So, which is kind of the interesting: people come into my office and and you ask them okay, what are you feeling? Well, my MRI shows this. I go, I got it. You just got, it. what are you feeling? Mm-hmm. You know, where do you hurt? What's, what do you, you know, give me the pattern. And then I tell the fellows that basically you should have the diagnosis somewhat in, you know, so our terminology is differential diagnosis. So you ought to have two or three things at most where you're using the MRI to say, do they have x or do they have y now there's some things where you know time will go well yeah we can get an mri but your story in your exam this is what you have you know most of the time i know when people have stress fractures just based off that presentation and and then i can kind of say hey we can get an MRI. Well, no runner's ever taken me up on not getting an MRI because they like black and white. So, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's good, but I don't know. I think where you're going with this and is there is still a huge role in patient evaluation. And I, that involves listening to the patient and doing a physical exam and uh, and I think, I think the concern that I have in our technology-driven society is, is this is spilling into medicine, where we're lo- using the technology probably more, and I, and I kind of challenge a lot of people that are in tech fields where you go, okay, can you 100% count on the, the technology the, to answer your question, or is there a human element? And everybody, you know, agrees that the human element is still present in most everything we do. And so I think we really need to make sure in the field of medicine that we don't lose sight of the human element. But um, I don't know if that's where you're going driving yeah. at, but that's, that's, that would be my comment to, to that, so.
2: Yeah, thank you.
1: So, we usually end our episodes by asking whoever the guest is to give one training or life tip to our listeners if they oh, had to man. pick one. I already That's put you on the spot. With I didn't
0: know that, I'd saved all these things I said. I, thought I'd already, <laughs> all said tips. I already put <laughs> you on
1: the spot with the anecdote <laughs> question, and now here's a second one.
0: All right, here's an anecdote for you. I tell people this, and, and I've kind of driven it this three or four times tonight, but if I had it over to do over again, I would say the last six years, five years of my running, I mostly ran without a watch, and it's the most enjoyable time I ever had because you know it'd be like go for that run, and you should do it in so many minutes, and you didn't, and you and and then you'd be bomb. I'd be bombed all day, and it was, and then the next time I'm, oh, I got to beat that time, and. It just wasn't. I was making it unfun. I was turning what should have been relaxing into stressful, and mm-hmm. I think you know most of us Type A individuals have a tendency to do that. And I ran with the watch at times, but but I got to a point where I hardly ever ran with the watch, and it was the most. Fit. Now, if I was in a traveling, as we talked earlier, and I didn't know how long the run was, I just need the watch to know that I was going, you know, 50 minutes or whatever yeah, I used to watch, but if it was a run, I knew how long it was, you know, I didn't, I got to that point. So I would challenge everybody to, to to and I, and I again, I've alluded to this before, but in a very anecdotal, personal sort of way, that, that would be my biggest tip.
2: I love that.
1: Thank you so much on that thank note you. Of never forget to have fun and you know, this has been a really fun conversation. Thank you yeah. so much, Doctor. Thank okay. you so, us so much. much. Time.
0: I, I, hope, hope be, I mean, I was like, who would listen to me talk? But uh I guess that you guys have to worry about that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> leave that to us. We'll we'll send you the link and you can forward it to Jeff.
0: Yes, for sure. <laughs> yeah, that'd be an interesting. He's a, he's a really neat guy. He's, it's, you know, I still think of his kids. It's probably like four and five and they're probably like, 30 and 28 or something oh my gosh
2: time flies right <laughs> yeah
0: my gosh. yeah. I, I, you know how you kind of go you know these families that you know and they have these little kids or what have you mm-hmm. and you think you know in the last 20 years they're they they're still six years old and then you see them <laughs> they 26 and you go oh i guess they do get older, right uh, <laughs> I mean, funny. you guys too you know yes I mean, uh, you get the holiday cards and you kind of go oh wow they they do get older uh, i
2: know and then i'm like that means i did too <laughs> yeah i know that's the sad part uh, god well
0: hopefully this was uh you know uh, helpful for you yeah thank lovely. you
2: so much you have so many great insights and stories it was
1: really good yeah thank you yeah. so much
2: and i was telling Ali, like one of my favorite visits in your office was i can't remember which injury it was but you came in and we looked at each other and we both started laughing <laughs> so- the sense of humor is a pleasure. And it was fun for me to be able to email you about something that was not injury-related. <laughs> uh,
0: I kind of like that too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sake, uh, okay. No, it's, I don't know. I've, I, you know, um, I've said this and I'd say that if I was just taking care of people's knees or hips or, you know, a body part, but didn't have the opportunity to get to know them as people, my job would not be very fun, but mm-hmm. the fact that I get to know so many people on it uh, uh, it makes it so much more fun. In 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 you know, again going back to the fun factor. Hopefully, I didn't beat mm-hmm. that to death for your. Uh, <laughs> no, it's
2: fun. great. We talk about that all the time, it's, and You're they're here, like oh, that's not good. being t- yeah, and not this being entire, tied to uh, times.
1: This whole podcast came out of that concept. Like, yeah, no, Fridays I use that it.
0: concept. I almost yeah. made that comment. I was almost going wait a second. I'm guessing the whole idea of this is to make sure people are connecting and having fun and, you know, yep. but, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Fridays were our easy days. And sometimes we wouldn't even run. We would see each other and we're like, let's just take the coffee to the track and sit down in the sun and talk. And that's where we're <laughs> like, okay, maybe this should be a podcast. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: right. yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. That's why it's called chill track Friday.
0: Well, great. Well,
2: thanks guys. Thank you so much. Have a great thanks, evening. Sunday. All right. <laughs> Bye. Bye.